Hello and welcome to JG Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain with JG Ministries. Glad to have you with us. Be sure to follow this podcast and receive notifications every time there's a new podcast. We are on Anchor and now we're on Spotify. We are studying the book of Luke. We have just started to unpack chapter 7. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the 7th chapter of Luke, and we'll begin with verse 18. Let's get into it. Now last time, as you remember, when we ended, we saw two miracles of Jesus. We saw Jesus heal a centurion's servant and the raising of the widow's son. And now we are going to see how Jesus reassures John the Baptist. In Luke chapter 3, John had described the one who would come as one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Then Jesus was baptized, receiving divine approval and anointing for his work. In chapter 4, Jesus assumed the task prophesied in Isaiah chapter 61. Now, after a cycle of teachings and healings, the validity of his messianic calling is once more under consideration and John the Baptist is the other central figure. So turn with me to verse 18 of the seventh chapter of Luke. John the Baptist sends messengers to Jesus. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things, and John calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist had sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And at that very hour, he cured many of the infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. When the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your people, who, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for them themselves, not having been baptized by him. And the Lord said, To what then shall I liken the men of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
but wisdom is justified by all her children. <clears throat> now looking at verses 18 through 20, news of the miracles of Jesus filtered back to John the Baptist, who was in prison in the castle of Macherius uh, on the eastern shore of the Dead Sea. Now the healings and presumably also the raising of the widow's son apparently have not sufficed to convince John of Jesus' messiahship. This reluctance seems strange considering John's role in announcing the coming one and baptizing Jesus. But there are several reasons why John needed further confirmation. Keep in mind he was in prison and this could lead to depression and in turn doubt. Further, he might wonder why, if the Messiah was to release prisoners and if Jesus was the object of that prediction, why did the Messiah not exercise his power in freeing John from Herod's hands? Also, though he had received reports of Jesus' ministry, John himself had apparently not witnessed these spectacular messianic miracles, such as he might have expected, nor had he heard Jesus claim outright that he was the Messiah. Now, John still had disciples, but this need not mean that he had been continuing a separate movement because of the uncertainty about the Messiah. So John sent two of his disciples to ask Jesus if he were really the Messiah or if the Christ was still to come. Now, it may seem strange to us that John should ever question Jesus' messiahship, but we must remember that the best of men suffer brief lapses of faith, and also physical distress can lead to severe mental depression. And leading us into verses 21 to 23, Jesus responds by listing the messianic works that he has accomplished. It was understood in those days that the true Messiah would not proclaim himself such, but would first do appropriate messianic works that would lead to public acknowledgement of his identity. Now the works Jesus cites echo not only Isaiah 61, but other passages from the book of Isaiah. Jesus pronounces a blessing on the person who accepts his credentials rather than being trapped because of a false evaluation of Jesus. Now, Jesus answered John's question by reminding him that he was performing miracles such as the prophets predicted that would be performed by the Messiah. Then Jesus added as a postscript to John, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now, this may be understood as a rebuke, but John had been offended by the failure of Jesus to seize the reins of authority and to manifest himself in a way that people expected. But it may also be interpreted as an ex exhortation, an encouragement to John not to abandon his faith. Now, C.G. Moore once said, I know of no hours more trying to faith than those in which Jesus multiplies evidences of his power and does not use it. There is need of much grace when the messengers come back saying, yes, he has all the power and is all that you have thought. But he said not a word about taking you out of prison. 
Now, no explanation, faith nourished, prison doors left closed, and then the message, blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. That is all. But now verse 24, the Son of Man praises his forerunner. The topic now changes from the role of Jesus to that of John. Now, through some gently ironic questions that expect obviously negative answers, Jesus stresses the inflexibility and the sternness of John the Baptist. Whatever Jesus might say to John in private, he had nothing but praise for him in public. When the people had flocked out to the desert near Jordan, what had they expected to find? A fickle, spineless, wavering opportunist? No. No one could ever accuse John of being a reed shaken by the wind. So in verse 25, had they then expected to find a Hollywood type of a person who was fashionably dressed and wallowing in luxury and ease? No. That is a type of person who hangs around the king's courts seeking to enjoy all the pleasures of the palace and to make endless contacts for his own profit and for his own gratification. And in verse 26, Jesus calls John a prophet and adds the role of messenger. Obviously, this forcefully implies the significance of Jesus' own role. It was a prophet they went out to see, an embodied conscience who declared the word of the living God, no matter what the cost to him might be. So indeed, he was more than a prophet. He himself was the subject of prophecy. And now we're into verse 27. And he had the unique privilege of introducing the king. Now, Jesus quoted from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, to show that John had been promised in the Old Testament, but in doing so, he made a very interesting change in the pronouns. In Malachi chapter 3, we read, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. But Jesus quoted it, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. And in verse 28, Jesus now puts John into a historical perspective. John came in advance of the kingdom, which has now become a reality. Jesus continued to praise John by asserting that among those born of women, there was not a greater prophet than John. This superiority did not refer to his personal character, but to his position as a forerunner of the Messiah. There were other men who were as great in zeal and in honor and devotion as him, but no one else had the privilege of announcing the coming of the king. So in this, John was definitely unique. Yet the Lord added the least one in the kingdom of God is greater than John. To enjoy the blessings of the kingdom is greater than to be the forerunner of the king. And great as John was, it is, it is greatest to participate in the kingdom than to announce it, to be part of the kingdom. 
We should not conclude from this, however, that John himself is excluded. All the prophets will be in the kingdom. So in verse 29, attention now turns to the contrast between the response of the people and of their hostile leaders to John and also to Jesus. Now attention now, or Jesus is now recalling the reception given to John's preaching. The common people and the avowed sinners like the tax collectors repented and they were baptized in the Jordan like Jesus was. The tax collectors and the people stood ready to believe Jesus and thereby to acknowledge that God's way was right. In believing John's message and acting upon it, they justified God. That is, they reckoned God to be righteous in demanding that the people of Israel should first repent before Christ could reign and could reign over them. This use of the word justify clearly shows that it cannot mean to make righteous because no one can make God righteous, but rather it means to account God as being right in all of his decrees and all of his requirements. God cannot reign over sinners. Therefore, the people of Israel first needed to repent. Now, in verses 30 to 34, this issue was not only the role of Jesus and John, but especially the entire council of God, who purposed for themselves the Pharisees and experts in the law rejected. Now, John's baptism was one of the symbols they chose to reject. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law refused to submit to John's baptism, and thus rejected God's program for their welfare. In fact, it was impossible to please the generation of which they were the leaders. And Jesus likened them to children playing in the marketplace. They didn't want to play either wedding or funeral. They were perverse. They were wayward. They were unpredictable. They were refractory. And no matter what ministry God used among them, they took exception to it. John the Baptist gave them an example of austerity, asceticism, and self-denial, and they didn't like it. They criticized him as a demon-possessed man. The Son of Man ate and drank with tax collectors and with sinners. That is, he identified himself with those whom he came to bless. But still, the Pharisees were unhappy. They called him a glutton and a tibbler. Fast or feast, funeral or wedding, John or Jesus Nothing and no one pleased them. Their obdurate opposition to each of God's messengers is described as the fickleness of children who became annoyed when others won't play their game. And Jesus and John, when in confrontation with the Jewish leaders, refused to play their game, and so they are the object of their taunts. These people not only criticized, but they exaggerated the habits of both John, calling his asceticism demonic, and of course of Jesus, calling his normal habits of food and drink as gluttony and drunkardness. But we must give up the idea of trying to please everyone. This thing is impossible, and the attempt is just a mere waste of time. We must be content to walk in Christ's steps and let the world say what it likes. 
Do what we will, we shall never satisfy it or silence its all-natured remarks. It first found fault with John the Baptist, and now it's found fault with his blessed master, Jesus Christ. And it will go on with pettiness and finding fault with that master's disciples so long as one of them is left upon the earth. It's not going to stop. Now, bringing us to verse 35. But wisdom is justified by all for children. And wisdom here represents the Savior himself. The small minority of disciples who honor him are wisdom's children. Even though the mass of the people reject him, yet his true followers will vindicate his claims by lives of love, holiness, and devotedness. The concluded saying probably means that those who respond to wisdom proves its rightness. And with that, I'm going to stop here. We are running out of time. Next time, we're going to get into Jesus being anointed by a sinful woman. That'll be an interesting study. So be sure to come back next time. Until then, God bless you and keep living Christian strong.